0: Welcome to another episode of Out Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our March 9th, 2010 edition of the show, 4.07 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California, a beautiful uh, sunny afternoon. And uh, before we uh, get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regions. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. Okay. um, Yes. What do we got going for today? Well, uh, many of us have read about or seen movies about the killing fields of Cambodia and think about it as a horror and tragedy from history. It may be difficult for some of us to think of it in a concrete way until we meet a survivor. We are going to do that today. Our special guest has a powerful and inspiring story to share. She not only survived the Khmer Rouge, years of terror and brutality in her homeland of Cambodia, she came to the U.S. with nothing and, against all odds, achieved her dream of going to medical school to become a doctor. Her recently published memoir, No Dream Beyond My Reach, uh, is uh, out and available, and uh, she is Dr. Sopeep Lee. Dr. Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Robert, for having me for the show today. It's my pleasure. And I know, uh, did I pronounce your name correctly, Sophie? Yeah, Sophie. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know many of your friends just call you Sophie, though, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, let's get right into this. Uh, Many of us have a a general idea that that something absolutely horrible happened in Cambodia in the 1970s, but, but... we don't often hear from somebody who was actually there so can you tell us you know, a little bit about your childhood be- before the khmer rouge and then you know what happened to your family when they took over your country
1: mm-hmm. yeah i was around seven um, five years old when i was evacuated from phnom penh the capital of cambodia i was born in cambodia um, in the phnom penh and a very good family my dad was a professor my my mom was teacher very educated family um, that highly value education. Um, my home was full of joys and excitement. I have aunt that lived with us and took care of us and my sister, and we have nanny to take care of us. And we were taken care of very well. I had a very good life. In before the Khmer Rouge took over, I have very good memory. Um, my dad hugged me tight. He held me and told me he loved me and cared for me every day. Yes. But then my life was upside down when the Khmer Rouge took over.
0: And did did you have? Uh, I, I you didn't go into too much detail about this in the book, but I, but I'll ask you now. Did did you have much uh, warning that it, that something was was going to happen, or was this a very quick uh, uh, sort of overthrow of, of the situation there in Cambodia?
1: Um, I was only five years old when it, um, the war was taken over by all these Khmer so I did not have a lot of memory from a five-year-old memory. I just remember one time we were watching the Chinese dragons, um, the beautiful night, and my dad hold me tight, and I watched it with the rest of the family, and that's all I remember when I was five. And a few other times that my dad took me shopping, and I was behind the motorcycle um, with him, and Going out visiting family, and he taught me how to swim one time in the Mekong River, and those are the biggest memory that I still have right now.
0: So then, uh, it, it, this happened actually rather quickly that d- this uh, sort of change of of uh, of regime in in, in Cambodia, and uh, this was uh, a really the, the entire country was just thrown into this sort of mad. Uh, terroristic state and everybody who was living in the cities was relocated to uh, to farms to rice paddies to to do physical labor and th- this is one of the things th- that happened to your family
1: Yes, I remember also one night I was five at that time we were forced at gunshot at gun
0: gunpoint point
1: with the rest of the whole city um to force us to go to the countryside and we, for, we were forced to stay in the train and walking under the street light, it was scary. I did not know what, where we were heading from. Everybody was crying, we were screaming um, in the middle of the night, we were forced um, from at the gunpoint to leave the house in a very comfortable house. And then by the time I remember, after so many hours in the train, 10 or 12 or 20 hours, I don't remember exactly. We were like in the middle of the rice field. Um, the hut, there was no house. Um, the hut was just made of bamboo leaf, and we just made it from our, for ourselves and the leaf. And it was just horrible in the middle of nowhere. I grew up in the capital, and I never lived in a countryside before.
0: And so then... You, your family, your uh, mother and father, your sister, you, your grandparents, everybody w- was basically turned into a slave and forced to work uh, 14 to 18 hours a day, uh, very hard, brutal labor, uh, very little food. and. and is that? Can you tell us a little more about that?
1: Yeah, I, I was around five, and I was too, I was forced to work very hard, fourteen, sixteen hours a day, for four years until I was nine. In the morning, we woke up. In the morning, walking no street light and stumble all over the road and bruises and. Daytime, You see all bruises all over your body because you keep stumbling. Four o'clock, you have to wake up three o'clock sometime, forced to work in the rice field. And remember, because Cambodia have a lot of rain, too, we were forced to work in the rice field. I have a lot of leeches all over my body, and the leeches are so wonderful at sticking and sucking blood. Mm. And I love the young blood, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from a young person, and they yeah. love that blood is delicious. And I remember stumbling over those in the leeches so many times. And working at night, sometimes late at night, sometimes even the weekend. We worked so hard, and um, in a way, I never complain now in my life because I used to work really hard in the past.
0: Yes, yes. This, I, you really uh, make this very clear in your book, and just how. I, I, without going into too much detail, we still get a very good picture of just how how uh, horrible this was and, you know, you meant the leeches and that you didn't have enough food and there were times that you and your family were forced to uh, f- kill rats and, and actually eat rats to have enough protein to sustain yourselves.
1: You have very good memory from my book. You've been reading my book I don't know how many times already, but that great No Dream Beyond My Reach is a very powerful memoir. Everybody should read it because it's very inspiring. But yes, we were forced to live. I mean, human spirit is so strong that we were forced to live and despite our art. So the human body needs some proteins and vegetable and carbohydrate and so on. So the rice, rat, and the mouse are very clean, not like some of the rat in the city they just eat rice most of the time in the rice field so it's very clean so we kill the rat and roast it and like a barbecue mm-hmm. and then eat those um my my grandparents did not eat because they were religious um buddhist most of the people in cambodia were um religious so they didn't eat to, they didn't choose to eat those rats, so they die of starvation. they die because they didn 't have other food too, not just because they cannot eat the rat, and they just die and I remember them their bone and skin which is like sticking to each other, no fat, no muscle, and then they die collectively together husband and wife, grandparent
0: yes you you saw yeah. your your grandparents dying and and this is uh you know the like I said, we we read history books and we've maybe seen some movies about about this. Those of us who were not there, and it's it's very difficult to understand the horror of it. And you know, when I think when somebody maybe reads your book and actually can hear you talk about, to actually have to watch your grandparents dying in that manner is a very. Um, it's it's really drives this home the reality of this uh, this complete terror that uh, that overtook your country and we're speaking um to dr Sopeep lee and her book her memoir is called no dream beyond my reach and uh we're, we're talking about her her early life now and, and how she survived the killing fields in cambodia and i definitely want to get into everything that you did here in the u.s when you came here dr lee <laughs> but but i, I want to set this kind of foundation first of, of what it was that you came from and um the uh what you yeah you were seeing people die all the time and you were you, the, the leeches the rats the s- snakes right was there problems with snakes there as well yes
1: there are, there are a lot of snakes too um our our house that. The living condition was very bad. There's no running water, no electricity. We use the lamps. Sometimes if we're lucky, we have some candles somewhere that we collect somewhere. And most likely, I don't know, we didn't have electricity at night. At night, um, So we we'll walk around looking through the peak of anybody' household if we speak anything against the government. So if we speak anything bad against the government, we can be killed, like, instantly or the next morning. So we have to watch the wall have very beautiful ears and very intelligent ears, so we have to be careful what we say. There's no freedom of speech at that time, no speaking against the government.
0: Would result in death, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, if if you don't mind, uh, could we talk a, a little bit about your father and, and how he just didn't come home one day?
1: Yeah, my dad um, was separated from parent, from my mom and my sister and the rest of the family. Um, they believe in separation like that, especially professional. Because professional have a tendency to resist a lot of changes, and because they have their mind of their own, so they separate those individual. And my dad never came home. And then, um, relative and friend told us that he was decapitated, and I never witnessed that. But I don't want to witness my dad being decapitated. But I remember the last moment. I think I was. Um, I was seven when my dad was um, killed, decapitated, and I remember he told me every day he loved me more than he can say, it, and those are the words I remember.
0: Yes, and, and he, um, the title of your book, No Dream Beyond My Reach, w- was inspired by your father. hmm This was something that, that he told you, right? How was it that he said to you? That
1: he always said, um, no dream is beyond your reach. You always have to work hard to achieve your dream. hmm
0: and the, you and your sister, were, were, there were times that you were left alone there when your parents were still out working. And, and you were, were you often in a sort of state of, of confusion to try to understand why and, and how this was happening? Yeah, well,
1: um, I, I was around seven or eight, but my grandparent died, I think, when I was seven or eight, but they were living next hut to us, so they kind of used to babysit us a little bit, but when they died, I just babysit my sister mm-hmm. all the time, and I remember before the war was, before we had the war, I was only four, four or three or even just early five, and my parents put me into French school, and I have, like, I have a dream because of my dad always wanted me to be a professional person, go to medical school, and so on. So I was always busy studying, and I was confused because why am I only 6 and 7 or 8 working in a rice field? I'm supposed to be sitting in class like the rest of the people, and my 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 life was very good before when I was, before the war that I was going to French school, private school. And only um, very um, privileged people in my country get to go to private school when we were young. And kids usually don't go to school at very young age, but my parents love education so much, they believe it's a passport to the futures and they forced us to go to school very early age and I was just confused confused that I was forced to work as a slave Child slave at a very young age. I was confused.
0: Yes, that that, uh, that must yeah have been just very uh, troubling, very very difficult, for, you know, a young child to understand this. And and you were there uh, for four years in in this situation in in the killing fields.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. um, all the Cambodian were in the killing field at that time um, for four years, from 1975 to 1979.
0: This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson. I'm speaking to Dr. Sophie Lee, and we're discussing her memoir No Dream Beyond My Reach One Woman's Remarkable Journey from Cambodian Refugee to American MD and uh, so uh, once you got out of Cambodia uh, you uh, went to Thailand and life in Thailand was still very difficult and and dangerous. Can you talk a little bit about getting into Thailand and what it was like there?
1: Getting to Thailand is a, not a nightmare. Um, what's the reason for me coming to Thailand is that um, I saw a lot of picture of my relative living in a third world country with beautiful opportunities and cleanliness and opportunity to pursue high education and good life. So I want to come to America. That was my dream for me to fulfill my dad's dream is to come to America so I can, I can be successful. And so in order to come to America, I have to stop by Thailand first. I did not know that I have to stop by and stay there for so many years, four years before I come to America. So the escape from Thailand to, from Cambodia to Thailand was a very, very scary nightmare. I remember the moment we were, we hired the guy to take us to, to the Thailand border. And we pay them in gold. I think a few ounces. Each of us have to pay a few ounces in gold. And I remember the beautiful sunset in Cambodia. Um, very tropical and beautiful, like the rainbow color sunset. And I was around 12, and I didn't understand. I didn't understand too much why my my country is so beautiful, but I cannot live there. I love to go back to Cambodia. I love the rainforest, the greens, and it just the untouched atmosphere overall, but my country did not have anything much to offer me at that time, so I left my country in tears and mm-hmm. in fears. Um, the guy forced us to step on the boat, and I remember that moment, and... And I just have to force myself that I have to go. I don't know what my destination is, if I'm going to get killed in the middle of the way, in the middle of the night. At that time, the rice field was full of water, so we had to step on the boat. And for a few hours, we were on the boat. And then after that, um, not um, we were on not on the boat anymore. We were forced to walk um, in the rice field again. But this time, I'm not too scared because I'm older now 12 years old even the leeches were all over I just learned how to walk quietly and very quickly with the rest of the people and finally we arrived in one of the border and the police not the police the Thai and Cambodian soldier I think combined they said where are you guys going are you guys going to west are you guys gonna get killed so the bride um, the guy brought the, the smuggler asked, um, we gave I, I'm sorry we gave them go mm-hmm. again so they can open the door for us to move forward to the Thailand again. So we finally reached the Thailand camp, but it was really, really scary from one Thailand camp to another Thailand camp. From a Thailand camp to a Philippine camp, it was another different story, but let's go from there for right now.
0: Yeah, so there, there were many scary things, uh, soldiers, people that would try to abuse and take advantage of you, and your living conditions in Thailand were were not good at all and uh, was that where you had to live in the very uh the the apartment with many people and not a a good toilet facility and all of that kind of things that was in thailand
1: yeah we didn't have an apartment once again it's all just the hot makeup of bamboo leaf or some coconut leaf and when the monsoon and the heavy wind high wind come it just Below us, that place, and we have to reconstruct the small hut again every six months. There was no electricity, water. The water has to be delivered every morning by the UNHCR for drinking. And then we dig the hole, the well, to make to get some water for bathing. Bathing, and we have to boil water before we drink it. And mm-hmm. a lot of nuggets in, in the toilet uh, side from near our hut I was... A lot. Just mug it
0: just mugged all over, chewing out a stool. So uh, Not ma- ma- many uh, Americans who maybe complain about their situation have no idea how terrible things can really be, and uh, yeah. So I, so this this in Thailand w- was very difficult, distressing, uh, horrible things that you know no child should have to see, but you did. And so after Thailand, you go to the Philippines, and uh, life actually got a little better in the Philippines. Uh, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, um, we, we were accepted to resettle in America, but before we come to America, we have to learn about American culture, a little bit English here and there in the Philippines. And from Thailand to the Philippines, we, we were taken by plane, a nice plane, and when we arrived there, it was a paradise. It was really nice in the Philippines. The living condition is better. The, um, it's kind of apartment, but the roof is made of a zinc. Uh, it was a very paradise, um, living in kind of resort type of in Bataan in the Philippines, a few mm-hmm. hours away from Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Um, in the morning, around 6.30 or 7, the big bus come pick us to school. I was around... 16 at that time, 15 and a half or 16, and pick us to school and on the weekend we went to the beach and to the stream and just hanging out. It was very fun and there was running water, clean toilet, the food was adequate and there was some earthquake at that time but I was not scared. It was a big earthquake too. It just shakes those those wooden apartment. but we were safe. But we were just waiting and praying that we don't have any problems. It was a very safe place. We stayed there about six, seven months, and then we came to America.
0: Okay. Again, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson speaking today with Dr. Sopeep Lee, and we're discussing her memoir, No Dream Beyond My Reach, One Woman's Remarkable Journey from Cambodian Refugee to American MD. So, yes, yeah, so so life improved in the, in the Philippines. You You had adequate food, as you said, and... Uh, the, you actually got to somewhat enjoy the the tropics and not not feel frightened by everything and make, make some friends mm-hmm. to some degree. And but at this point, thinking thinking about the U.S., coming to the U.S., fulfilling your dream and 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 uh, what your father had had instilled in you that that no dream would be beyond your reach. And uh, so after some months, then you you come to the U.S. So. What were, um, I believe you you touched down in Texas, what were your preconceptions uh, of the U.S., and, and how did that match the reality when you actually arrived?
1: Well, I first arrived in Texas, Dallas, Texas. I saw beautiful skyscrapers, beautiful, nice, very clean airports. And I was like, wow, my dream is going to become true very soon despite all odds and despite all the circumstances I have in my life. The many escapes um, from place to place, my dream going to come true. And I was praying um, that I'm going to do whatever I can to achieve my dreams. I was so happy to see the beautiful airport and everything. And then family took me over and drive by one of the streets and there was some homeless and I was... People sleeping on the street at that time, and I was so horrifying that, well, in a third world country with beautiful opportunities and many open door, why I'm seeming homeless. I'm mm-hmm. coming from a war-torn country, living in three countries already before I'm 16, and now I'm seeing another, the fourth country, <laughs> America, homeless. So at that time, I was only 16. I said, you know, in America, you have to force yourself to work very hard. You have to do anything Better than any average people because and I came here I'm already behind I'm late English is my second language I don't know so many English I have to open a dictionary and read and watch TV at the same time so I said in America I have to run I have to run and chase the opportunity I cannot just walk and crawl and wait for opportunity to come to me or someone hand me an opportunity I have to chase it and treasure it and accept it as soon as I can so at that point I said education is the only passport for me um, to prepare me for success and also to prepare me for my dead dream to come true. I was motivated and electrifying with opportunity, but I need to focus with intensity to succeed, and that's what I told myself, with intensity and focus to succeed in
0: America. So uh, seeing uh, the homeless people in some ways kind of inspired you because it, it made you see, well, not just like everybody is going to have everything wonderful in the U.S., you have to still work for it. And if you don't, you, you can slip through the crack and you can fall into a situation that is not so good. And and so you you... That inspired you. Obviously throughout the whole thing, the words of your father were always inspiring you that that you had this dream, that you had to follow. And so you you got uh, very excited about your education. And uh, but it w- was not by any means easy because you know you're dealing with a second language and as you said you have your English dictionary English Cambodian translation uh, dictionary and your uh, y- you uh, go to high school in uh, Santa Ana right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, Santa Ana High School.
0: Right here in California, right right near us in Irvine. And you do quite well there, but you have to work very hard and study, and you you are are working at night, I think, uh, to help?
1: Yes, working at night, taking many classes at night. I was taking also classes in Santana High School plus some of the colleges' classes at night because... I came already late, 16. I have to work really hard to catch up, and there's no time to waste, no time to really have a personal life, enjoying going to the movie or anything. Like the kid that I was that were born here was raised here at a very young age with privilege, opportunity. I didn't have all of that. I was on welfare. Um, I live in a very gang, bloody area of Santana. I walked to School, six, um, 6 a.m. in the morning, zero period, bark, dog bark, rain. walk there with my sister sometime alone because I take zero period and end up with calculus class and was put in honor, um, English class, because I love to write even though I cannot write very well at that time. Um, I love to write and express my feeling, and I took many, many classes very early in the morning after school I went to work in Santana Clinic a few blocks away from Santana High School, four hours a day after school, five days a week. I was getting paid about $3.75 but as a medical assistant, but I love my job. I embrace my responsibility with enthusiasm and willingness to work. And I took also many, many classes at night, typing, computers. My GPA was like 4.3 overall. one time i think junior or something year and then i did not sleep i was stressing out want to achieve so much and i have ulcer so i went to the gi doctor they gave me tagamet i remember Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm having colonoscopy and everything but nothing was wrong so i kind of slow down and try to relax and not to force myself so much try to sleep early and and I was so young, and I had an ulcer at that time. It was scary. And then my GPA dropped a little bit, but I still graduated with high honor from high school.
0: With and honor. It, so it, it seems like, like much of your life was a situation where you were yeah. uh, dealing with sleep deprivation, obviously as a child, not, not by your choice, and then, um, you know, because you were driving yourself so much to study and to achieve. And, and obviously this was going to be the case. This is the case for anybody who who's going to medical school, which is we'll be talking about in a minute that, that you did. Uh, but um, so you, you did well in high school, and, and then you, uh, before medical school, uh, went to Cal State Fullerton here in Orange County?
1: Yes, I went to Cal State Fullerton, major in biology and minor chemistry uh, and worked at different places as well, research, library, I still work at Santa, um, Santana Medical Clinic for years. I was always committed to healthcare because um, I really love healthcare um, since I was young. I started working as a medical assistant since I was 18. I've been in healthcare for 20-something two years now, <laughs> so many years in healthcare. I don't know, my dad always wanted me to become a medical doctor, so I'm always surrounded myself with this knowledge. And another thing is also the job stability, and I love healthcare. When I was in Cambodia, when I was around 11 or 12, after the war was over, I was so fearful to go to a doctor because I have this one fist, um near my eyelid. I remember as I I'm walking today, I said, I, well, I need to say this to the radio station today because there are so many kids that want to go to medical school, but they are afraid of of medical school. Of of the medical education um, working in healthcare because they are afraid of blood. Yeah. But I was afraid of blood too when I was eleven and twelve wow. in Cambodia, and I had like small eye surgery on the skin only, not inside the eye, and I was so scared, almost have a panic attack. But but when I as I grow older, I'm not scared of blood, and I still survive the medical career. So my message is, just because you have bad experience when you were young does not make you not fitting into the medical profession.
0: Yeah, so did, did you yourself, you were did, were afraid of blood and did not like that and made you feel a little bit sick, and now you're obviously okay with that, being a medical doctor, to, to be around blood. So, uh, yeah, again, this is out the rabbit hole KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson uh, speaking today with Dr. Sopip Lee. We're discussing her book, No Dream Beyond My Reach, One Woman's Remarkable Journey from Cambodian Refugee to American MD. And uh, so you went to uh, medical school at uh, Howard University. Was there anything in particular about that school that attracted you?
1: Well, when I was in high school, I joined a Program called Close Up Program. Um, that program took us one week to stay in Washington, D.C. to learn about government, the history of America, and so on. I guess that program kind of teaches to be a lawyer, <laughs> congressman a lawmaker and so on, but it didn't take me there. It took me to um, open my eye for other opportunities. Um, I always want to go to Washington, D.C. I want to explore the East Coast, and I love the Smithsonian and so on, so museums, and that's why I want to go to that medical school. And when I went there, I fit right away. Many friends from all over the world, Caribbean, Africa, many from California, too, They're very nice, friendly. I finally met one of my best friends, Arita McKeer, and she was Miss Cameroon in 1991. And we become instant friends, and her son is my godson now.
0: Oh, yeah. You've you've made some just great friends and uh, just these long-term relationships with wonderful people you met throughout. I I, just found it interesting, uh, Howard University, for those who don't know, is... uh, an American uh, school that uh, was a place that allowed opportunity for uh, African Americans when not many existed in this country, when there was uh, much uh, discrimination. It was a school that allowed them to to go to college, to go to medical school, or what they wanted to pursue. So I feel it plays a very important role in American history, and I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I... I, I admired your your choice of going to that school because uh, it uh, of that. And it w- did you learn a lot about that sort of uh, the struggles that uh, that Black Americans had to go through to get education in in, in our history?
1: Mm-hmm. To be honest, I grew up in Orange County. When I came here in Orange County at that time, um, there was not much to talk about, and I was so focused about education. My my vision was blind. I did not choose friend based on whatever colors. I have a lot of friends from from many, many countries. Um, I choose friend based on their hearts, their love for education, their love for friendship, not because of color. But when I went to school, um, the school taught me to achieve my dreams. It gave me opportunity to achieve my dream that at time it's beyond my reach. Mm-hmm. Um, the school taught me the value of loving for each other, um, through faith, determination, and to never give up. Um, the school has taught me strong you to to just work hard despite um, whatever the situation in the past, whatever the discrimination and so on. So in a way, um, we didn't have time for any discrimination. Um, <laughs> we just forced each other to work hard and force each other um, willingly to just graduate on time. We help each other. We become so bonded with each other. We spend about sometimes 16 to 20 hours together a day. And sometimes we slept in school too, just on the couch. So for a year, we, like, all of us, like, a roommates, um, brother and sister roommate, living in the whole community together. Um, everybody was so... So indebted to the, to the success together. So um, I don't know in any other field, but in healthcare, at least that I know, um, whatever color you are—black, white, gray, green—whatever. Mm-hmm. When it comes to emergency and taking care of the patient, that's it. We all come together to help each other, saving life because life is is for everyone. Life does not discriminate whatever color you are. Your life, you have life have life to live yeah. and we come together to work together and that's what the school taught us um, at that institution is to learn to help each other and to bring the best health to the school and to the society
0: yeah it seems that you learned that lesson quite well and uh, yeah I got that quite clearly in the book that that there's a certain kind of bond that is created by uh, when you are in medical school because it is so difficult, it is so rigorous, you really need to depend on each other with your study groups and, you know, to push each other along when, you know, you're feeling a little bit hopeless or despairing to, you know, hey, you know, you can do it, we can do this, and really creating the strong bonds. I I found that quite touching and uh, was, uh, you know, so exciting to read about how you 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 made it and you all you achieved your your dreams and um do do you think that that you know surviving the the extreme hardship and trauma of of being a child slave gave you a certain kind of strength that that allowed you to know that you could survive the rigors of medical school
1: um yes Yes, um, I think anybody can survive medical school um, if they have the determination and focus and intensity, with electrifying enthusiasm to succeed. I think even a monkey can go to medical school if the monkey works really hard. Hmm. You need the brain, of course, but you need the determination and hard work and persistence. It's not like um, it's it's not that hard, but you just have to have the Passion, to learn what's going on. Example, if you take this cholesterol medication into your body, where does it go first and how it's metabolized in your livers and how it make you work better. If you're interested in the molecular level and also the growth micro level, how it it, it work and it just automatically you become so fascinated with the details and information. It just flow, and you just commit yourself to study and taking an exam and apply your knowledge to help the patient to live a better life. If you have that passion, you can succeed in any profession, medical school, nursing school, pharmacy school, um, and healthcare professional or dental school.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, so... Tell us, I I liked reading this in the book. Tell us uh, about how you felt that day when you got the the medical degree, got bestowed with the 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 doctorate. Uh, all how how that was for you that day.
1: I I feel very very happy that my dream came true. Even <laughs> though I'm like, with hundreds and thousands of dollars student loan. <laughs> I feel very happy because million dollars and billions of dollars cannot buy a diploma in this country. This country have no room for cheating and, and so on at all. Um, in other countries, maybe there might be some, but in this country you have to work hard to achieve it. So I, I dream and I thought um, I achieved this degree for my dad and I know he watched over me even though I have student loan in my back um, for the rest of my life. It's expensive, but it's worth it, and it's payable, it's affordable. And I was so electrifying, I like my my gut feeling. I, I feel so good that I, I finally achieved a dream for myself and my dad.
0: Yeah, and you still feel your, your father inspiring you every day.
1: Yes um i really want to dedicate my book to my dad for giving me the best genes with strong mental and physical capacity for for me to achieve my dreams and um i really never forget the moment that whatever the person believe or not remember or not remember most powerful word from parent, mom or dad, whatever, it's still embrained in, in me and I really value the people that have wisdom and courage because those few words really have a big impact in my life.
0: Yes, this is out the rabbit hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here, speaking with Doctor Sophie Lee, and we're discussing her memoir, "No Dream Beyond My Reach: One Woman's Remarkable Journey from Cambodian Refugee to American MD." So, so now, uh, Doctor Lee, you you uh, are working in the medical field and happily married, and you want to tell us a little bit about your life now and how how that is.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, my life. Always, I always have no sleeps um, from all the way working in the killing fields in Cameroon when I was five to nine, and then living in refugee camp, and then study all the time when I was refugee in college, high school, high school, college, medical school, residency at County USC, mm-hmm. um, the largest county hospital in the nation after Cook County in Chicago, and then working also on call sometime as a medical doctor, and then I have twins, 17 months old, and they keep me on call the rest of my life at this moment, (laughs) so double the trouble, double the twin, but um, I enjoy it, I embrace my responsibility, I thank God and all the opportunity, the people around me, all over the world, for giving me hopes and dreams and achievement.
0: So it it sounds like you, you are in a good place now, and you're happy with your life, and you um you know are doing this thing by by putting your memoir out there sharing with others and hoping that that you can inspire others to you know understand you know look at me i i came from this horrible place and is able to achieve these dreams you know you maybe have not had as much of a challenge in your life, you can do this. If I can do it, you can do it. That—that's the, the message I get, and just a message also about the human spirit, and that there, uh, there's something unbreakable about the human spirit, and uh, that in you know whatever this has to do with, with love and compassion, and is uh, you know you're you're putting that out there and, and uh, making us feel how powerful that is.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mentioned so many times I've been interviews and written about more than a dozen times last year um, in the newspaper, radio, TV, and so on, magazines. Um, like I said, it doesn't matter where you start in life. It's how you finish in life. If you have a job somewhere, just work for it. And but if you have a big dream, don't lose focus of your dreams and lo- lose focus on your achievement. It's very hard in this um, economy right now for not having education. But try to get your education. It's the best passport for your future. It's the only recession-proof um, proof. Recession-proof right now is the passport to the future that is recession-proof. The education is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, no matter where you start in life, it doesn't matter. if, Even though you start, like, leeches, Cambodian, Camaroos, Killing Phil, um, it's what you end up with. And you have to surround yourself with motivated people, with positive people. Motivation is very easy if you surround yourself with motivated people and eliminate the leeches When I say eliminate, you're not going there to get rid of them. It's just less interaction with them. Mm-hmm, and that yeah. made you sound more motivated and inspiring by just talking talking to positive people. It's just so much fun to talk to positive and intelligent people. It's just so <laughs> much fun.
0: I agree with that. Uh, so I, I talked to you uh, the other day off the air, and I, I had asked you if you'd ever been back to Cambodia, and, and you said no. Uh, do you think someday you may want to go back?
1: I might. I never can say never. Just like in medicine, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, um, not all statistic. We're gonna. We're never gonna say never. But um, I have opportunity to modern, um to volunteer to other places too. Um, I can go. I've been talking to a, a lot of students all over Southern California now. Um, Santana High School the most. I'm talking to a lot of students in Riverside County too. Superintendent and so on invited me for a keynote speaker and I have another in, um, another speaking event for one of the school here, the principal, just called me. I think I can inspire a lot of people in America. I feel that no matter where you inspire people, um, it's the people that you inspire. It doesn't matter where it is. It's just the people there. When I go to talk to people... I see the innocent, like, beautiful eyes, 16, 18, 14 years old, and just listen to me. And I was just like, I said, you know, I go to work, I make good money, but when I come here, I come here based on my voluntary basis. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to be here, they all pay attention, but I just kind of scare them. I said, you need to take note, because my patients take note when I talk to them. And I only talk to them, not like you guys, an hour, half an hour, because... I talk to them too but they don't have all the time to talk to me all the time but I'm here for volunteer to help you so you need to take note everything I said you take note so in a way I tell them that they motivated um, by writing it reinforced them and to to take the word into their heart and I also told them it does not matter where you start in life it's how you finish in life it, if either you're an immigrant coming here without paper, with the paper or whatever, and if you're poor, you cannot go to college, you have to find yourself an education. You have to find some finances some way because when I went to college, I got a lot of scholarships, small, 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 but the small add up to a big sum. Yeah. And and I told the student nowadays that when I went to college, we didn't have Google, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have all the Internet to search for a scholarship. I spent many, many hours searching through the libraries, through pages, pages, hard copy. But there's no excuse right now because a lot of the scholarships are available and nobody claim it. And they put it out there on the Facebook. They put it out there on the Internet, Google. It's your full-time job to look for those scholarships. If you don't have a job, look for those scholarships so that, the only ticket to your paradise of success in life is to find the scholarship if you don't have the money to go to college, but you have the will and motivation and ambitions and the drive. If you have the ambition, you have the drive to wake up in the morning and go to school. you have to look for a scholarship if you don't have any way to pay for it. Or else you have to take student loan. But if you can get free money for someone to pay for, you, for someone to pay you, to go to college, um, look for it. And so there's no excuse. Not going because you're poor.
0: Yeah. The uh, uh, one other thing I found inspiring in in your book was when you went to I think you were still in school at the time when you uh, went to uh, a small town in Mexico to help uh, people who didn't have medical care. And, uh, you know, I, I it just seemed like this was a. Uh, uh, an instance uh, of giving back to people who are less fortunate and that you you learned quite a bit from that experience.
1: Yes. Um, I went to San Blas, Sinaloa, Mexico to volunteer. I flew like four or five hours on a small passenger airplane, like four people. I think I flew across Texas to go to that area. I remember it's many years ago. And I went there. People have no health care. People line up many, many hours before they get to see and people with cleft palates with so many deformity, and the volunteering doctor from America, plastic surgeon, cardiothoracic surgeon and so on, been there, dermatologists, and just give the free service to the people in Mexico. And we slept on the roof, to find different, slept different places. And that one night you could not find a good place to sleep with mosquito on the roof and it's so hot. It just bring back the memory of my life Um, living in that condition refresh my memory Um, it reinforced me to work hard it doesn't matter where I come from where I want to give back and that's why I love to give back um, give back to the society by giving, talking to other people to inspire people um, to teach them that it doesn't matter where you start in life, how you finish and giving back and volunteering work for me it's like nourishing my soul It makes me so happy um, that I can give back. It just nourishes my soul every moment, every second that I give away.
0: Well, I think that's a great note to kind of wrap things up on. Uh, do, do you have anything else you need to uh, let us know about before we close out the show, Doctor Lee?
1: Yes, my book is available on Amazon too. No Dream Beyond My Reach, and my last name is spelled L Y. So you can Google that L Y. Um, first name S O P H E A P. No Dream Beyond My Reach dot com. You can check that on my website too. But the money will go to donates to Santana High School and different colleges that I plan to um, the scholarship to help people um, pursue higher education.
0: All right. Well, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for spending this time with us today and sharing some difficult things but some inspiring things. And it uh, it was my pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share my story.
0: Okay. We'll talk to you again, okay?
1: Thank you.
0: Okay. Bye Bye now. Yes, okay. That is uh Doctor Selpeep Lee A- and again the spelling on that is S O P H E A P that's the first name. Lee L Y is the last name. And her memoir is No Dream Beyond My Reach, One Woman's Remarkable Journey from Cambodian Refugee to American M D and uh yes, the website uh no dream beyond my reach dot com. So that'll about do it for today. Um Next week, we'll have more interesting conversation. Got a couple of of guests lined up. Not sure who it's going to be next week, but for the next couple of weeks, we'll have some really good stuff. Some uh, Going to get a little bit more into the parapolitical. So uh, stay tuned, uh, as always, every Tuesday, 4 to 5 here, out the rabbit hole. And uh, stay tuned right now. We've got in about five minutes, The Power of Now, excellent experimental music coming up, as we always do. And I want to further remind you, or again remind you, I should say, that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash RGLarson. Larson, and uh, let's see. I guess that does do it. Now we've got what? Uh, got about four minutes left. We'll put a song on, and I'll uh, let you know that this is KUCI eighty-eight point nine FM in Irvine. Also on the web at kuci.org. Robert Larson saying, "I'll be talking to you next week."